Mordecai was covered in dirt, in grime. He was dressed in sackcloth, for he was mourning. He knew it was to come. His current physical attire represented his future physical reality. Mordecai was going to be killed and all the Jews with him. Now Mordecai knew that there was a Jew who could help. The only problem is that nobody really knew that she was a Jew. It was Mordecai's younger cousin. She was the queen of Persia. Mordecai needed her help. And so he sent her this message. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I have a challenge for all of you tonight. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. Take off the disguise and take hold of deliverance. The king of Persia was a man named Xerxes. He was a foolish man with a wild temper and erratic behavior. For example, one of his wives was named Vashti. Vashti refused to dance for him and all of his friends at this party that he threw. And so he banished her from the kingdom. It seems excessive, right? Like maybe a conversation like, hey, what was that about? I thought we were good. But banishment from the kingdom forever. I mean, come on, Xerxes. That's kind of excessive. Well, he banished his wife, and so he needed a new queen to fill her place. And he began some erratic behavior. They'd never really done this in the kingdom of Persia before. But all the king's officials went out, and they gathered all the young women that they could find in Persia, and they brought them to the king's palace, all the beautiful young women. One of them was a young Jewish girl named Tadassa. Her Persian name was Esther. Esther was Mordecai's cousin. She was brought to the king's palace, for this was the command that young, beautiful women would be brought to her. And this is what we know of her, that she was beautiful. We can assume that all of the women that were brought to his palace were beautiful because he was not interested in personality. Xerxes was not interested in intelligence. Xerxes was not interested in their character. He was just instrument, interested, <laughs> this will be funny, in sexual relations with her. He wanted a woman that he could show off to other men of the kingdom that they would be envious of him. And this is why Esther was brought to the king's palace. Now, a lot of people hear Esther's story and they think that she is a, a, a nice girl with a strong moral compass. That she always does the right thing. But I'm not necessarily convinced that that is true. In fact, I think the Bible paints a different picture. I think the Bible doesn't paint Esther as someone that we should replicate, but her story is simply shown because she's someone that we can relate to because she was a sinful girl. And this room is full of sinful people whom God can use. And she was brought to the king's palace and she begins to put on this mask. Her name was Hadassah, but her Persian name was Esther. 
Esther was a Jew who lived in Persia. This is why she had two names. A long time ago, God's people were taken captive and exiled to Babylon. They lived there for 70 years until another kingdom, the kingdom of Persia, took over Babylon. And the king of Persia, his name was Cyrus, allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem if they wanted to, or they could choose to assimilate into Persian culture, meaning they could become like the Persians. Before she was born, Esther's family decided to do this. And they began to assimilate. And they began to become like a Persian family. And this is why Esther had two names. Hadassah, around other Jews. Esther, around the Persians. When she was brought to the king's palace, she was instructed by her older cousin Mordecai to hide her Jewish identity, to, to hide her family heritage. She was no longer to be called Hadassah. She was, she was to give up her God-given identity, and she was to be known as Esther, and Esther alone. And she began to put on a disguise, and the disguise became even more elaborate. When the king's orders and edicts had been proclaimed, many young women were brought from the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. Moral degradation began to set in fast in Esther's life, for she already betrayed the modesty of the Jewish people and betrayed their dietary restrictions. He assigned her to seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best palace in the harem. Before a young woman's turn came in to go see King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Esther would go to the king in a disguise, masked as a Persian, hiding her true identity as Hadassah. She went into the king's bedroom for sexual relations, and it worked. Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, and she had sexual relations with him. She had sexual relations with a man who is not her husband. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor, favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So she set, he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And now she has broken another Jewish law. She is married to a Gentile. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. She had done it. Esther had done it. She had disguised herself as a Persian. She was now queen, Esther of Persia. Her story's not in here so that we replicate her sin, more so that we can relate to her. Oh, for she put a mask on. She hid her true identity as a daughter of God. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever done the same thing? Have you ever put a mask on your face? I'm not talking about one of these creepy masks that you might get at Halloween or at a costume party. <clears throat> Talking about have you ever hidden behind your lies? Behind your shame? Behind your greed? Behind success, sin, 
excuses, a personality, a dream, a desire. It does not reveal your identity as a son or daughter of God. You tell lies, these elaborate stories that make other people like you, but you know that they're not true. You care so much about your success in the arts or your academics or your athletics that you trade your morality, your integrity, and your faith for success that won't extend beyond high school? Do you ever cower in fear at the way in which people will talk about you or treat you if you know, if they know that you are a Jesus follower? You ever put on a mask? Esther's story, her mask is not recorded in scripture so that we would replicate her mask, that we would put one on too. More so that we can relate to her. For we wear a mask as well. In Esther chapter 3, <clears throat> we're introduced to a man named Haman. Haman was the right-hand man of, of King Xerxes. He was equally degenerate. He was a bad, bad man. King Xerxes, he issued this decree that all the royal officials should bow to Haman at the king's gate. And everybody did, except for one. You remember Mordecai, Esther's older cousin? He refused to bow. It's not for a religious reason. Like this wasn't a deification of Haman. He was not some godlike figure. This was just the kind of the cultural respect of the day. The way in which today you would uh, give your seat up for a young lady or you would open the door for somebody or you would look another man in the eyes and shake his hand. This was just a sign of respect. Let me tell you something that's a little bit weird, but it's true history about the Persian culture. Equals on the social ladder, when they would greet one another, they would kiss one another on the lips, like barf in my mouth, Right? This is, how the, this is how coronavirus got started. People just going around, kissing people on the lips. <clears throat> Don't do it, all right? Don't kiss people on the lips when you greet them. If you were slightly lower than somebody else on the social ladder, you would still kiss them, but just on the cheek. Still a little weird, but not coronavirus gross. You know what I'm saying? Now, the decree that the king issued was that the royal officials should bow down to Haman. Because Haman was so much higher on the social ladder than they were that the cultural custom of the day to show respect to Haman would be to bow down before him. It wasn't a sign of worship. It was just a sign of respect. And Mordecai refused to do so. And at this point, we're introduced to Mordecai as Mordecai the Jew and Haman the enemy of the Jews. Oh, because Mordecai would not bow, Haman's hate for him grew and grew and grew. And he wanted to get revenge on this Jew, but revenge on this one Jew would not be enough for him. He wanted to have all Jews annihilated. And I know now that you're probably thinking, wait, is this the Holocaust? It's a totally different story. Equally evil. We're talking thousands of years ago in the Persian Empire, because one man refused to bow out of respect, another man decided he hated him so much that he and all of his people must die. And so Haman, the right-hand man of King Xerxes, approached the king and persuaded him with these words. There is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. If it is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them, if it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. 
And I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. He's willing to pay a lot of money for this. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamathadatha. I made that word up. And the, Ag- the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. And while Haman poured glasses of wine for he and the king to sit down on couches and recline, couriers, male carriers, went through the kingdom of Persia with pamphlets, flyers, and letters with these orders, destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on the 13th day of the 12th month. Mordecai was covered in dirt and grime. He was dressed in sackcloth, for he was mourning what was to come. His current physical attire represented his future physical reality. Mordecai was going to be killed. And along with him, all the other Jews. Now Mordecai knew that there was one Jew who could help. The only problem is that nobody knew that she was a Jew. She was the queen of Persia. Her name used to be Hadassah. Now it's Esther. And so he sent her this message. Do not think that because you were in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. The disguise that you are wearing will always lead to destruction. And Esther is beginning to see this reality happen in her life. She has put on a disguise, but soon soon she will be discovered. And ultimately she will be destroyed. And so Mordecai encourages her to approach the king, gather courage, and talk to the king to stop this edict. It's going to take a lot of courage to approach the king, take off her mask, and reveal herself as a Jew. What takes even more courage is that she wasn't allowed to talk to the king. What? This was her husband. But didn't I tell you at the beginning of this sermon that Xerxes was a wacky dude, erratic behavior, foolish tendencies? Nobody was allowed to talk to Xerxes unless Xerxes summoned them, including the queen of Persia, his very wife. What she had to do was approach the king unsummoned, which was against the law, and the penalty for breaking this law was immediate death. Can you see her hesitancy? Can you see her delay? I don't know if I have the courage to approach the king. For the threat of death and the hope for life are equally present as she gathers this courage. And she sends a reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I told you a couple of times now 
that Esther's story is not recorded in Scripture so that we would replicate her, but that we can relate to her. But I think that if there's a moment in her story that the Holy Spirit wants us to replicate, it's this moment right here for Esther is taking off the mask. She's going to tell Xerxes that she too is a Jew, that she is Hadassah, one of God's people, the threat of death and the hope of life, both equally present as she gathers courage. And she, three days later, approaches the king and gratefully, He extends his golden scepter. The king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. When you read the story in the Bible, the request is delayed, but it is eventually made. The queen answered, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition and spare my people. This is my request, for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. King Xerxes is furious, and he asks Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he, the man who dared to do such a thing? And he's sitting in the room. She points a finger. Esther said, an adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Esther has taken off her mask and has taken hold of deliverance. For upon this news, Xerxes has Haman killed. And although no edict that the king has issued could be reversed, this was still going to happen. He could issue other edicts that would protect the Jews, and so he did. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of the king Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. And they prepared for this day. They prepared for the day of deliverance. And on the 13th day of the 12th month, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the tables were turned. And the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. Esther took off the disguise and took hold of deliverance. Won't you do the same? The edict given by the king was to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews of Persia. Kill them, destroy them, annihilate them. And because Esther took off the disguise and took hold of deliverance, the Jews were saved by the power of God. And although you might not be able to see him, you have an enemy, you have an adversary who is trying to destroy your life. His name is Satan. His mission is to steal, kill, and destroy your life. How does he do this? From the beginning, Satan has been trying to trick us that a disguise is better. That putting on a mask is better than a better way to live than we were created to live. That putting on success, putting on this fitting in mentality, putting on our dreams, our goals, putting on our sin 
is better than living in the way that God intended us to live. Because he knows that if he can get you to put on a mask, that if he can get you to put on a disguise, then you won't take hold of deliverance. And underneath that mask, he's going to steal your joy. He's going to kill your innocence. And he's going to destroy your life. So take off the disguise and take hold of deliverance. For although you have an enemy, you have an even more powerful friend. His name is Jesus. His mission to give you life and life to the fullest, not underneath a mask, but in the freedom and the reality of grace. For there will come a day when the tables will turn and our King will avenge us over our enemies and Satan will be defeated once and for all and our life will be sealed with him in heaven. There will come a day for deliverance. So take off the disguise and take hold of this deliverance. Some of you are hiding behind this mask right now. You've probably noticed that there's words in red and and words in blue. The words in blue are the words that I was hiding behind when I was in high school, when I was your age. Popularity. I was well-liked by my classmates. People enjoyed being around me, not because of my integrity, but because of my compromise. They thought it was funny. They enjoyed being around me when I would make inappropriate jokes or talk poorly about people or spread gossip and rumors. And I was afraid that if I took off the disguise, I would lose the popularity. I have my personality on here as well. I was kind of a shy person. I didn't want people to know much about my life. I didn't want people to ask me questions about being a follower of Jesus. And so I wanted to hide behind this veil of shyness so that people wouldn't get to know me. Hid behind a lot of shame from sin of my past. For if I knew that I took off the disguise, people would know what I had done. Then I'd say, wait a second, aren't you supposed to be perfect? You're a Jesus follower. I knew that I would face a lot of shame because I was hiding behind it fear. Fear was probably the biggest mask that I wore and formed all the other masks that I put on. I was afraid of what people would think. I was afraid of what God would do with my future. I was afraid about the way my life would change. But so many years later after high school, man, I am so glad that I took off the disguise and took hold of deliverance for all of these things that I faced, all of these disguises that I wore would ultimately lead to my destruction and only Jesus could lead to my deliverance. Here in a moment after I pray, I'm gonna ask that you would go back and grab a mask and a marker, take it back to your seat. You can write words, you can write phrases, you can write sentences. But if you relate to Esther, if you relate to me, (coughs) 
and you're hiding behind a disguise, would you confess it here on the mask? And keep it with you at your seat. Once you're done writing, you can put it under your chair and continue to worship with us. We're gonna take these masks to our small group. We're gonna have conversations about how it might be hard. We're gonna pray, God, would you give us the courage like you gave Esther the courage to take off our mask, to take off the disguise and take hold of deliverance. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm grateful for the story of Esther. <clears throat> grateful that I can relate to her. As she wore a mask of morality, of fear, of shame, I've worn those same masks. Father, I'm grateful that she took it off. Father, thank you for giving me the grace to take this off. Father, help my friends to take off their disguise and take hold of deliverance in the name of Jesus. Amen.